Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast from filmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowe, and with me today we have Robin Barr. Hola. We also have Bill Graham. Uh, hola? I think I was going to say hola and hello, and it just came out as hola, which makes me sound totally illiterate. Why are we speaking Spanish on an episode wherein the primary action takes place in Greece? How do you say hello in Greek? Hey, you over there. I don't know. <laughs> a, a stupid old. I know. I, I like half went to Luca. I was like, I don't know. I don't even know enough about Greece to like fake speaking Greek. <laughs> I just uh. looked it up, but now it's in like Cyrillic or whatever. Oh, explain the letters to me and I can read it to you. I took Russian, so I know the Cyrillic language. Jesus Christ. Okay. X-A-I. Something that looks like a P. An E that looks weird. A T and another weird E. (laughs) That's so offensive. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, my God. I have literally no idea because you the way you were describing it made me laugh. (laughs) And so I stopped paying attention. It sounded like it should be but then they put a P in there, which would be an R. So I don't know. Anyway, if you're Greek. I am sorry for everything that so just sorry. happened. So offensive. I love your 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 gyros and your suvlaki Giros. and your tiropida and your domares. So thank you. Um, super awesome. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, get them stuffed grape leaves with the lamb meat. Hell yeah. Yes, Man, let's I reduce someone's culture to their food. Uh, <laughs> hi, my name is Brian Rowan, and I reduce every culture to its food. Mm. That's why I hate the British so much. <laughs> mm. I I love me some where or a Welsh rare bit. That's really good. I thought you were about to start doing the uh, the bit from Phantom Thread. Just do his whole order. Oh God! <laughs> do you? Th- I'm not a movie quotes person. Like that's that's some no, like dude me. bro shit. Not for me. Uh, well, you only watch shit. a movie once. I'm, every I'm a decade. dude, bro, and that's not me. Yeah, but so. Bill, you also have the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> yeah, this is true. What? Not all dude bros speak in movie quotes, but all people who speak in movie quotes are dude bros. Yes, I think that is correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the math of film. I'm going to have to say I agree with you. Anyway, uh, the context for this episode is that we had a guest <laughs> lined up, and that guest had a very tight time frame for us to operate in. And so we all day have been hyped up. Like we're going to be on topic. We're going to be on topic. And then that guest didn't show up. And so now we have clearly just let the fucking brakes off and we are tangents. Yeah. You say it, Bill. Um, so that's why we're a little extra crazy. Um, anyway, we are here today to talk about the lost daughter. Uh, this is the film written and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal based on the novel by Elena Ferrante. And um, it is available on Netflix. So uh, you have no excuse not to watch it before listening to this episode. Unless, of course, you're here. we all know you have it. Yes. <laughs> unless, of course, you're here to see if you should watch it, in which case we will get to that 
Before we do, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. And you can go to uh, podcast at thefilmstage.com to email us your long form thoughts and give us a comment and rating on iTunes, of course. And you can go to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow to become a patron and join our Slack channel and yell at us in real time. And uh, we like that. You should do that. Uh, don't forget that you are also uh, hearing us uh, thanks to the largesse of Mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage. You get a free 30 day trial of Mubi. And what is Mubi? It is a curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before. And there will always be something new to discover. Some of the cool stuff that is coming to Mubi... Now, on Valentine's Day, they premiered Love Affair from 1939, a transcendent, tear-jerking romance from Hollywood's golden age. Love Affair was created by one of the greatest filmmakers to ever work in America, Leo McCreary. Nominated for Best Picture at the 1939 Academy Awards, this timeless classic truly proved to be an affair to remember. They've also got another one here that's pretty interesting sounding, a little more recent from 2010, it's called Incident by a Bank. Long before he won the Palme d'Or for the square, Swedish provocateur Ruben Ustland took home the Golden Bear from Berlin for this ingenious short, reconstructing a real-life event in a single take. Incident by a Bank is a hilariously prickly examination of societal apathy and self-absorption. So if you would like to check out both of those, you can go to mubi.com slash filmstage and you can try movie for free for 30 days. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. And that's that. Um, we haven't spoken since we did our top 10 episode. We had a week it's off. Still seething. Hello, still- hello. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> What do you mean? Why did you say I'm hello? Saying, hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you said we He's haven't spoken since. Now. Oh. Haven't, yeah, you said we haven't spoken since then. So Time has I'm not been kind hello. To, to William Graham. <laughs> <laughs> now he's Billiam. Oh, boy. <laughs> Billiam. Guillaume. Guillaume. Guillermo. Okay. I don't know. I'm still blown away by your weird old man voice right there for a second. <laughs> but anyway, um, here we are. And uh, here we go. Uh, the Lost Daughter is the new film that is on Netflix. And it is, uh, it's been uh, nominated for a couple Academy Awards, correct? Yes, uh, at least three as far as I'm aware. Uh, best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actress. Correct. But fuck the Academy Awards. The real reason we're talking about it is because this movie was on Robin Barr's top 10 of the year list. I did enjoy it. Yes. And so we're here to talk about it. And um, like I said, it's on Netflix. This movie stars Olivia Coleman, uh, Dakota Johnson, and Jesse Buckley. And here is the trailer. Miss Caruso, welcome. Thank you. Excuse me. I work at the beach house. Just let me know if you need anything. Great. All right. 
I hope you all found that trailer very helpful and instructive. <laughs> that is the only synopsis that you will receive. Um, only slightly lying. The the I would say that the strength of this movie, if it could be said to have one, is in its uh, kind of mystery uh, construction. Um, so that knowing less about this movie is probably helpful. I knew, you know, as much as I could not know, considering that Robin had this on her top ten. Um, so I'm going to read the IMDb synopsis, and then we will just dive right in. A woman's beach vacation takes a dark turn when she begins to confront the troubles of her past. So that's that. Yep. Again, this movie is on Netflix, so you have no excuse not to have seen it if you really wanted to see it before listening to this podcast. Let's begin with Robin Barr, who, again, had this movie on her top ten list and uh, thus can be said to be reliably the most uh, enthusiastic person as it comes to this movie. So Robin Barr, defend yourself. What are your thoughts on The Lost Daughter? <laughs> Also, first want to say, I don't think it ended up on our podcast to-do list just because I really enjoyed it. I think it was also just, it's just been a buzzy movie. Um, oh, I was about to say there was also, I don't know if there's anything else. Like, what were what the other mean? options? Like, I feel like this was like oh. floating around as a thing to do on a week when there wasn't much to do. There's there's always a movie. I mean, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy it's gotten a bunch of Oscar nominations. Um, I am a big fan of Elena Ferrante, who is the author of the book or the novella on which this screenplay is based. Um, she's also written the Neapolitan novels um, and has had other adaptations of her work, uh, including one of my favorite film. I'm sorry, a television series, which is My Brilliant Friend. So I was very much looking forward to this. Um, it is Maggie Gyllenhaal's directing debut. I've been a big fan of Gyllenhaal, um, you know, as an actress, but also as a producer and director on The Deuce. And so I was very much looking forward to uh, this film to see, you know, what her voice alongside Elena Ferrante's voice could do. Plus, I'm a big fan of Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley. Um, so it's just, it all kind of came together. And I love vacation movies, although this is not like, exactly the wrong missy um this movie is very uh <laughs> mysterious and dark-hearted um for a vacation film so what i really liked about it was the sort of elliptical nature of the storytelling um you it sort of unfolds over time you sort of start to understand uh who this woman is you know she's a an academic who comes to greece for a vacation she seems to have some kind of relationship with her adult daughters, but you're also sort of like, you don't know what's going on here. She ends up uh, meeting a family of Greek Americans who are there for some kind of vacation. They seem to be connected to the Greek mafia in some way. And she's increasingly annoyed by their presence. And at some point um, she starts noticing a young mother played by Dakota Johnson and, and the woman has a, a toddler age daughter the daughter's doll goes missing and you discover that Lita played by Olivia Coleman has taken the doll and you're sort of like, what the fuck is that? A Why would somebody spoiler? do this? <laughs> and I don't think it's a spoiler because it happens so early on. Does it? I, mm. I, 
I don't know. I feel like I was like three hours into this movie when she finally showed that she had the doll. <laughs> really? No, oh, I, no, that was much sooner. Much sooner. Much sooner than three hours. I think the there are other movie. mysteries that I don't want to <laughs> spoil, but I think it's part of the... I think it's part of the heart of the story that you understand that she's taken the doll. I think that's like the MacGuffin in some ways. Um, And so I think a lot of the movie is trying to figure out why she's taken the doll and it's clearly connected to something in her past, but also her feelings about this woman and the way she's raising her daughter or the way that Olivia Coleman didn't raise her daughters in some ways or different or raise them in different ways. And so I think the doll is very, very symbolic and I would love to talk about it a little more, but what I enjoyed about this movie was it's, was it's mystery. Um, was it sort of like poisoned soul? It, it It's definitely um, very disturbing at times, but not in ways that are really easy to grasp. It's not a, uh, you know, it's not like you're watching it, waiting for lots of action to happen. Um, the the things that are unsettling about it sort of just like creep in and you're like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, why is this person doing this thing or that thing? And I attribute that to uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's ability to create this kind of, um, this kind of like creeping tone. I'm trying to think of another word that would better describe it other than like disturbing or unsettling. Um, but something that really sits in your gut, that's how I see it. So I, I just really enjoyed it for its kind of poisonousness. Like Olivia Coleman's character is not a hero, not quite a villain. You don't understand what she does yet. You do kind of understand. Um, and she's also you know, you don't know if you like her or don't like her or you're rooting for her or not. And it kind of doesn't matter. I'm kind of there to like observe and be fascinated with all the twists and turns that happen. And it just, it, it made me so nervous watching this movie because of all of the social faux pas that happen and which we can definitely talk about, but it's, it, it wasn't like there was this looming threat necessarily in a, in a way that, you know, like a movie about a mobster would feel, you know, that you're just like, oh, this danger is happening. And yet it felt extremely dangerous that she was ingratiating herself with this family and yet doing things that also harmed this family in really subtle ways. I don't know, just very interesting to me. All right, Bill Graham. Hmm. Um... I did not enjoy this movie very much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I hate to be that person. Um, do it. I what, the Brian? <laughs> I no, need, I need it's, fucking it's not backup. Brian. Yeah, it's, I've been alone for so not, long. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the Brian of it all. It's just, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, this film does this annoying thing where it posits a a mystery that's not very mysterious and like yeah the the whole doll thing is just like it's it's just a giant macguffin that doesn't make any sense i am shocked that that, that, fucking people keep bringing up this doll thing at all 
It's this it's, whole thing I'm is sorry. the doll. It's so the weird. Doll, the, the, doll, the, the doll happens. The doll, doll happens within the first twenty minutes. Of I movie, spent so, so much time in this movie not giving a fuck about the doll, and you two are both like, "Oh, the doll is like the linchpin of the movie." And the I'm like, "Doll is, is the whole movie." That explains yeah. why the movie sucks. It should have been called the doll. <laughs> yeah, it should. It should have been the lost doll. The lost doll. Dalter. Yeah, Jesus the lost Christ. Dalter. Okay. Um uh but yeah, so th- there's that that's kind of like the central thing that keeps re- reoccurring. There's also just I don't know. I I guess yeah, there's there's just so much that I don't understand. Bill, I can just like feel you struggling to even like build up the energy to explicate why you didn't like this movie. Yeah, this was this was tough. Like I, I, I usually can find something in a lot of these films. I will say that um, Dakota Johnson, when I first my my wife, my lovely wife, was like, "That's Dakota Johnson." And I was like, "The fuck you say?" What? <laughs> and then and then they showed shut your mouth, like, woman. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> then they show some. Sh- some close-ups of her and i was like oh fuck that is dakota johnson like from far away i was just like who the fuck is this woman she only becomes dakota johnson like six hours into this movie (laughs) six hours jesus christ um i did notice a a funny sequence in the middle of the film where uh this is not a spoiler. This is a small minor detail that is interesting that happens in the middle of the movie. But, um, uh, Olivia Coleman's character shows Dakota Johnson how to pin a hat to her hair. Yep. Um, and in the middle, like not, but like maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes later in a uh, film timeline, uh, <laughs> she visits Olivia Coleman again. She undoes the hat. She pulls out the pin and she does not have the bun on top of her head that would require the pin to go through the hair. And I was just like, I was very confused. I was like, wait, 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 wait. What that- the fuck? You're like, what does this mean? What is it? What yeah. I'm more like, did you notice that? <laughs> yeah, I Why noticed that. Why would anybody notice that? Because she takes the hat off, undoes the, undoes the pin and there is no bun on top of her head that the pin would go through, which would secure the hat on top of the head. And I was just do, like, wait, maybe, do, that, do, 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 do. maybe that shows that she just sucks at putting a hat on. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. I was very confused by that. I was like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? Um, why would He's you not spend- at all confused by the doll or why a grown woman would steal? Why? Who, who, who said I was? She's a sociopath. Yeah. That's why she that took it because she's a pain in the ass. <laughs> I really don't I, think I, that's I just, true. Oh my God. I, this woman sucks on, on levels. She just wants other people to be as unhappy as she is <laughs> and refuses to make room for other people in her shallow narcissistic existence. And that is why she's a failure as a mother and a human being. Ooh. Okay. Well, why don't you, let's, that, let's, that is not what I said. Um, <laughs> nope. That is, that that's is, exactly what Bill said. <laughs> that's, that's not my review. Um, my nutshell thoughts. I, I did not enjoy this movie very much. Um, I, I didn't get what it's kind of getting at. I understand the idea of being in a marriage that you are kind of feeling maybe trapped in. And especially when uh, children are involved and that trap feels like it's, you know, three or four walls deep. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I, I struggled with this movie. I'll be very honest. So that's that's my nutshell thought. Yeah, I struggled with this movie a lot too. I um, again, I I'm I, I'm just shocked to hear that there was so much emphasis that you all placed on on this baby and the mystery of the the doll and everything. Because yeah, I was like mysterious. Like you know that she steals it but like you're like oh why because she sucks because she's like she she doesn't Mm -hmm. move when they ask her to move she's clearly just a person yeah i wouldn't have moved either they're fucking assholes fuck yeah just move just move so the family can be together no they shouldn't it's not like you're like i'm enjoying the view you're sitting there alone joyless with a scowl on your face, reading your fucking papers. She's just British. Just move. You, you, I just like, I hated this woman so much before I even found out all the other better reasons to hate her that I just <laughs> went through the whole movie. And every time she got sad or upset, I cheered. Like, there's a scene where she almost breaks down crying because a bunch of people are being rude in a movie. And I have almost had my life threatened when I stood up to people who were being rude in movies and I still wasn't on her side. I still didn't want her to win that confrontation. Um, I just, I understand yeah, having, cause you've never been a middle-aged invisible woman. And I never will be. God bless America. Um, mm-hmm. I just like, I just don't know. I just didn't care. Like I didn't care. Like I don't care if she's a middle-aged invisible woman it doesn't matter anyone acting the way that she acts i would not enjoy and i understand the concept of uh unlikable or non-relatable people like that's fine like i've liked plenty of characters that are like that but this one doesn't have the charisma or the depth to make me give a shit why she's acting this way and so i went through the whole movie Basically, the only way to get through it was just to take joy in all of her misfortune. And luckily, there's a lot of it. So that did get me through. But like, I just couldn't be bothered to to try to ascribe meaning to, like, oh, why did she take the baby? Again, because like, of course she took the baby because she's a monster baby in doll. human form. Yes, I'm sorry, the baby doll. The, the the I think the reason I keep calling it the baby is because she like at times really acts like it's a baby, like she mm-hmm. really treats it like a baby. Um, but yeah, like you know, why did she take this symbolic baby? Because that's what she does. Because she's not a good human being, and she is that's happy to ruin the time of other people. Like I believe that every inconvenience she can create for anyone else around her, she likes to do it because. She is having a miserable life and she believes that everyone else deserves to have one too. No, maybe she just doesn't want to kowtow to other people. It's thinking not that called she's... kowtowing. It's called being a part of a polite society. It's not very polite to force somebody to bend to your will because she's not a part of a communal tribe or something like that you have the, the right to ask they... someone to be a reasonable human being and i mean like most people would have moved to make room for them as it stood without being asked mm, i, I, I don't disagree do, wait i'm sorry bill did you say you don't disagree or you do disagree I don't disagree, which means that if if I saw that situation happening, I probably would have been like, I right, I'm fucking out of here. 
Right. I would have I would have been like, oh, there's like a family coming to do things like they outnumber me. They appear to need this space more than I do. I'm not about to assert that my comfort is more important than the comfort of 20 other people because I am not a monster. <laughs> so I will move without them having that to is, ask. That is that is not to say that if they ask and if you push back that you don't appear or look like an asshole you do it's just yeah. i would have now, seen that situation them, and it would have been like ah, don't need to be a part of this well, also, like, I will, I'm, I'm not i'm not about to say that the greeks were in the right when they started to like say a bunch of horrible shit to her like yeah these, like, we, that what, kid <laughs> i mean a lot of those people are very awful and like i think that's another part is that like i think i almost would have liked the movie more if they had been like a ward and june cleaver style greek family and were like super nice and she was just a brittle opposition force but the fact that Mm -hmm. everyone was like hateful and angry all the time just gave me like no escape except for when ed harris shows up to cook an octopus which was incredible she wouldn't have been like that if they had been ward and june cleaver i think that she would back against their rudeness and against their like I don't know, breeder mentality. No, I think that she was pushing back against the fact that they what? appeared to be a family. I think that she was pushing back against the fact that they were more than one of them and they seemed to enjoy each other's company. No, I think it's a classism thing. If anything, she was just looking down on them for being, you know, Queens people or something like she's she <laughs> as a person from Queens <laughs> and as a person from Long Island. Like, trust me. Yes. I'm just saying I think because she's an academic, because she lives this Cambridge lifestyle. Okay, okay. This is this is something that I have to bring up at this point. Love it. Uh, what what the fuck? This is happening in Greece. Why is Queens and like all of this shit being brought across the well, goddamn Bill, globe? There's a big the Greek population on? in Queens. <laughs> Don't scoff at me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't, how am I supposed to know that? You don't have to, but I'm telling you it is, and you could have okay. just inferred it. Wait, what are you confused about? He was, I think he was surprised that the Greeks came to Queens. Yeah. From Queens? No, no, the opposite direction. <laughs> that the, either direction the queen, happened. The, the queen, yeah, the, the queenies went back to Greece and were like, this is my home turf. And uh, I'm just like, no, Greeks you vacated, bro. Are like the Italians. Even if they go somewhere and set up their own community, they can still okay, tell you okay. which rocky village they came from. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. I'll, like when I'll she accept. said, when I, she said, I, oh, I, I'm I from acquiesce. Queens, I was like, oh, I've probably been to your diner. <laughs> okay there's a reason that greek diners are a thing there's a reason that um there is a there everyone listen to me right now there is a <laughs> oh, coffee yes, Papa. There, i'm talking <laughs> yeah. to the podcast listeners not just you people but there is a particular coffee you cup people, that you, you will you, see you co-hosts <laughs> you, you proles us um, dirtbags <laughs> talk about classism you're the queen's people um oh boy there is a coffee no, I cup. I live in Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's the best part. So there is a coffee cup that you will see in any movie that takes place in New York. Mm-hmm. And oh, even God, saying that, you guys, I who I'm actually speaking saying. to, you know exactly the one. It's blue and it's white, and it's got the gold lettering, oh, and it looks Greek. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. 
And that is because that coffee cup I was exa- I, I'm not even Greek. I'm not I'm not not a part of this at all and I know what you're talking. Exactly. About. In in fact, when we decided to start serving cocktails at my distillery, I said, uh, if we're going to do a hot chocolate with, you know, spiked hot chocolate, we need to get hot cups and I am going to go online and I'm going to buy this particular cup because it is that important to me. And someone walked in and said, "Oh my god, it's the cup from the end of Spider-Man." And I said, yes, it is. And someone else said, oh, it's that cup they're always drinking from in How I Met Your Mother. And I said, yes, it is. And the reason that cup is so stuck with New York is because it was created by a paper goods company specifically to appeal to the Greek coffee shops and diners in the city that had sprung up. So, Bill, the Greeks are very heavily identified with New York and with Queens. <laughs> it's called the Amphora. If you look it up online, it's currently made by the Dixie Paper Company, and you can buy it. And it's awesome. It's a beautiful cup. You're just shilling for Dixie now. Yep, I'm a, I'm a shill for Big Dixie. <laughs> I just... Uh, now that I've said I that, know, I'm wondering it, if it's a solo it was, cup. <laughs> it was like it was really thing. awkward to me that like this whole thing it I I don't know I don't know when I'm supposed to know this kind of thing <laughs> like like that that that's a thing that they just come back to Greece and are like you're on my fucking beach and I'm just like what the fuck is going on here like when did this turn into a turf war and and they're like oh are you from are you from Queens you sound like you're from Queens and I'm like that's across the fucking country or uh, the fucking globe <laughs> like what is going on right now like I I just I don't know. I I definitely understand where that is coming from. I get it, but also I'm I was just deeply confused by what's that interesting, as, a, as a situation. What's interesting is that, you know, Robin says this is a class thing, but she at some point in the movie and and maybe this is like a part of her character is that she's just always Lita? been a piece of shit. Um that yeah, Lita says like you can't take my children to live with my mother. She's like, uh, like from a pit of blackness. My mother didn't even finish school. Mm-hmm. So like, clearly, oh, it's she all wrapped up. Comes from a background that is like she maybe she's self hating, poor, and so she. Okay. But here's the thing: if it's a class thing, like these these Greeks <laughs> had enough money to come halfway across the world. It's not this. about money. It's not. You about think it's money. just about like uh, like it's intelligence? about education and it's about culture being cultured being worldly okay i'm gonna give a little bit of background right now so the lost daughter is written by an italian author um the author's name is elena fronte that's actually a a pseudonym nobody knows the true identity of this author there's a lot of assumptions that this woman um if she is indeed a woman and i think she is uh grew up as a poor person in Naples and then eventually left and came to the North of Italy. A lot of people think this because in the Neapolitan novels, which are very popular um, and debuted between 2012 and 2016, it's actually about two young girls who grow up in Naples and one, and they're both scholastically, um, uh, uh, they're both geniuses basically. And one of them is able to get out and leave Naples, you know, the poor neighborhood and go to the north of Italy and have a writing career and one isn't. And so a lot of people think this may be in some ways like semi-autobiographical. 
So the way I've read this film is that Leda is another version of Ferranti, if if this is indeed even her story. And it's this idea that like, you know, there's a big difference between those who leave and those who stay, which is one of the novels she's written. And it's this idea that, you know, she being part of this education or this educated class eventually left and sort of now looks down on her origins as, you know, like we are the plebs essentially. And, and I am different from them, even though I come from here and it's, it's all wrapped up. So that's how I kind of read latest characters. This is a woman who grew up in who knows, maybe the Midlands or something like that, or another poor area of England lifted herself up into the ranks of, you know, academia moved to the U S works at Harvard, you know, has this whole um, life that she's built for herself. That is so far from the tenements or wherever that she came from. And I think when she sees this family, it, it reminds her of, of those origins that she's trying so desperately to get away from. And I think in some ways she's punishing them for being part of that plebeian class that she both rejects and identifies with. Again, this is my own personal analysis based on my knowledge of, of the author and the other books that she's read that I adore. So maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I read it. Well, I mean, that that certainly is more context, but I don't know that that helps me in any way think any more or less of her. In fact, it probably just makes me think less of this character. Well, because as you said, she's like a self-deprecating uh, lower class person of lower class origin. Right. If you're about to, to abandon that- your children and your husband says, okay, well, I've got to go take them to your mother's <laughs> and you say that's a threat. How can you take them to that blackness? It's like, well, fuck you. Why don't you stick around then if you give a shit? Like, there's just like... Yeah, you can't have it both ways. Right. Like, oh, like, am I just supposed to hang out here without you? Like, I, that's not a, a possibility for me. Like, of course, I'm going to take them to your mom's place. Like, if, if your mom is not legitimately a, a like, a drug dealer or a murderer, like, it's better than not having anyone. But she's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, she didn't even finish school. It's like, well, you did, and you turned into a right piece of shit. So I guess school doesn't matter. I mean, but that's kind of interesting, right? And I think that's something that Maggie Gyllenhaal was playing with, where it's this I guess idea that but like, <sighs> education doesn't make you a better person. Ultimately, like, it doesn't not make to you be, a warmer person. Not to be the populist, but like, <laughs> haven't we spent a decade railing against the cultural elites? Like, don't we already know that they suck? Like, you know... The second that a movie opens up and the main character is an academic, I like half tune out because I just don't care. Like the the stakes of their job mean very little to me. So like she's here being like, oh, Yates into Italian, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ugh, like what a masturbatory and at some point literally masturbatory human being. But isn't like, that part of what Gyllenhaal is commenting on, I think, but I don't find that emptiness of her work. I think it is, but also like, that's not new or interesting to me as, as of, as a viewer of media and a, a watcher and reader of narratives. Like, I don't think this is treading particularly new ground. And I think that that's one of the other reasons that I didn't feel any like tension in the movie is that you can like feel what it's doing from the outset and you're just like it's like if a roller coaster 
went five miles per per hour and stayed completely flat. Like I know what's going to come and none of it was particularly interesting anyway, but the fact that I can see everything is not making it any better. Like, you know, bank at least, you know, give me something. Hmm. I mean, I'm willing to admit or, or see that this is not a theme that's going to interest everybody, but it definitely interested me. And And that's, you know, that's why I'm not saying you're, you're wrong. I'm just saying like, I, I just like, I don't understand. Like, it just feels like we've seen so many movies that are just this, that are just like, oh, the educated class, oh, the ennui of like the pointless academic, uh, children sometimes can be difficult, but like, I don't know. It's, um, it's a problem that I had with come on, come on. Um, mm-hmm. but that I didn't really bring up. I don't think I'd have to listen to that episode again. My mind is, is a mush. Um, but like there, there's been this tendency recently in movies for people to talk very openly, uh, and disparagingly about the act of raising children. Um, and to make it sound like it's, and I think I did say this cause now I'm, I'm remembering saying this and feeling like an asshole. Um, maybe it seemed like it's so much harder than it is. And it oftentimes it, it strikes me almost like, have have these people never had children? But like, I know Maggie Gyllenhaal has. It's just, it's mm-hmm. very bizarre to me to like see these movies that have seemingly turned up the rhetoric, at least coming from the characters. You know, I'm not saying that this is like the thesis of the, the film itself, but like we have so many more characters now who are like just openly hostile towards their own parenthood. And it's just like, it's gotten wearying in a way like it's it's starting to sound less genuine almost like it's it's like probably the first time that like a mainstream rock act or like you know the first time hip-hop started like cursing and people were like whoa they're extreme and now it's just like if half the fucking lyrics are the word fuck it doesn't really have the rhetorical impact anymore i will agree that I mean, I'm I'm definitely seeing that as a trend and not just as a reflection in art. You know, it's not just like film or TV that's questioning parentinghood, uh, parenthood, but also I see this a lot in my personal life, too. Like <clears throat> I was about to say, people, it's, it's all over TikTok, weirdly. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's but I see it like just people I know talking about just how difficult parenthood is in a way that maybe they weren't. 15 years ago and i kind of wonder if it's if it's some kind of after effect of the great recession you know this idea that like people are in a maybe worse financial position than they would have been uh if not for like all of these global events happening in the last mm-hmm. 20 15 or 20 years and so there's actually much more sacrifice of having children because of because of how uh, unstable the financial but see, that's that's that is a really good point. But that is rarely the the narrative that we are being given in these movies. It's not the. It, I'm not talking about the narrative. I mean, mm-hmm. people are not making this connection. I'm just wondering if it's actually like an aftershock of these of these like larger shifts in society and and you know economics and things of like. I wonder if that's like the way it's trickling down. Is people are much more critical of parenthood. Well, and also because of climate change, you know, I'm not going to like that's its own kind of category. But I think people in general are much more critical of it or much more questioning of it because they don't have the same 
stability that, that their parents did, uh, you know, housing prices or um, two parent households and the, the kind of care that you can get, um, you know, the rising cost of childcare, you know, all of these, all of these things, like maybe they're not directly commenting on it through art, but I do wonder if it, if it's those things kind of culminating that makes people talk about parenting in this kind of way. And I, I mean, it, it just seems weird that, cause everything that you're describing is, you know, when, when my, when my ex decided to walk out on us, um, my daughter and I, I had just gone through an extended period of unemployment. So I was like not in a good place financially. And so all of the stress and the anger and the sadness and the strife came from basically that, what you were just talking about. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's no money. I don't like, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to take care of this child. But how that, old was Cora? Uh, she, she was like three, I think, or two. Like mm. she had just turned an age. <laughs> and so it was, it was either two or three. I like, an well, age. the problem is, Bill, I think we no, talked about this. I, like, well, we talked about this, I think, last week. And I know I talked about this with another parent. I was like, look, I don't know what happened in 2020. And I don't know what happened in 2021. And I don't know what happened last week. Like, if I bring up a February, it could be one of the last three Februaries. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, you know, she was, she was very young. I'll just say that. Like at that point she was like sort of talking. Um, but so, you know, but like, so all of my stress and my anguish was I am going to fail my child. I'm not going to be able to provide for her what she needs. I'm, I'm going to put her at a detriment. It was never like, oh, being a parent so hard. I can't translate Yates into Italian and I can't masturbate in front of my computer in the middle of the day. And, you know, I can't sit here with my headphones on while my kids play with knives. Like it was, it was never me focused. It was constantly, you know, projecting 20 years into the future. What what is my daughter going to have to say to a therapist to be able to live a functioning life because I fucked up in some way? Um, And I don't see that as these these narratives like in these things so it seems weird to me that as true as what you said might be it's odd that the 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 next step in crafting a popular narrative is what if we just made it so that these people are not functioning as a parent just because they can't like it's 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 weird that it seems to be like you know kids suck and not like the sudden shift in your focus from a present tense me centric concept of life to projecting what the world's going to be like 70 years from now when your child has grandchildren, because now you are a part of a line. Like you thought you were the last link in the chain for forever and you had no responsibilities. And now you forged another link and you realize that you can't be the weakest link because the chain's going to keep going on. And it just is always Mm -hmm. so weird to me that, what these movies about parenthood come down to is like your kids are going to scream a lot and you're not going to be able to handle it when it's like, just fucking like engage with the kid. Like there's a scene in this movie where her child cuts her finger and is very clearly saying, can you kiss it? And she's just like, Oh no, I can't. I'm just too smart for this. And I can't be a part of this. And it's like, you have a child that is actually expressing you what it needs like if you can't get on that, it's not like when a kid's crying in a grocery store and a parent just flips out and is like, I don't know what the fuck you want. 
there is like nothing sure. is wrong. Like you were walking and everything was fine and now you're screaming and you can't tell me what's wrong. Like, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do right now? My biological impulse is to fix you and you're not fucking helping me. Like, it's just, it's strange that we are living in a time where parents probably have it harder than ever before. And the best that we can come up with is because kids are loud and annoying sometimes and you can't travel, <laughs> which you can't travel much now anyway. So I don't know. I feel like I went on a fugue. Did anything I say make sense? Yes, but I think okay. it ignores some of the fundamental, um, not ignores, but you know, like your fundamental goals in life are not necessarily to be a great xyz like or rather you want to be a great father first of all i'm gonna be a a fantastic xyz so how dare you (laughs) (laughs) but i mean like that the part of like what you want in life is to build a family and to be a parent and i think what i see in lita and maybe something that i relate to in lita is that she wants to be a great star or what i mean like star of her field let's just say um and i don't even know if like i'm not saying i want to be a star of my field but i think she craves uh being recognized somebody thinking that she that she's brilliant which is why she and are we in spoiler section now yeah we might as well be (laughs) it's why she's drawn to uh this other academic who thinks she's utterly brilliant and a genius and an amazing critic and and he's got a great beard and a kicking dad bod he is very cute in my opinion um and she sleeps with him because there's so much passion there because he's so thrilled by her and enthralled by her and and i fully understood that uh that she wants to be something more than quote unquote just these children's mother and it's one of the things that i sort of think about when I am figuring out, you know, what, what is next for me? Like, what is it? My career? Is it starting a family? You know, I think this film speaks to very much the crossroads that I'm at right now. And in some ways I'm, I think I'm afraid of being a parent because I don't want to be a a leader. I don't want to be somebody who just is like, has a a frustration tolerance level of nothing. And I'm already (laughs) like kind of a hothead and I have a very low frustration tolerance for even like minor inconveniences. How will I then create a safe environment for a kid? I don't know. Yeah, I know. I I wish I I knew what to tell you. I mean, I always, I always thought of myself as having a low frustration tolerance, but then I look back at like most of my friendships and I'm like, oh no, I was just always constantly at the end of a very long rope. Mm. <laughs> they just kept me there all the time. Like, and, and honestly, you know, not to turn this into Brian Rowan tries to convince people to have a child, but having a child and centering her in my life outside in, in a way that previously just, um, I don't I don't like partying sounds like a really trite way of saying it, but like in the way that like experiential chasing, you know, through dance clubs and bars and alcohol and madness and random people helped to alleviate most of the tension that I'd always worried would make me a bad father because suddenly mm-hmm. I stopped giving a shit about all the stuff that constantly had me stressed out. And um, it's clear that that is not something that Lita ever did. <laughs> 
it's like she couldn't it's like her idea of motherhood uh was something completely different than what it ended up being i guess which is odd because we all know i mean and i shouldn't say it's odd i think it's actually very common but it's like we all grew up with with parents to some degree you know whether it's a guardian a mother a father or two mothers or two fathers like we all know what it was like to be raised and yet i don't know i she still chose it or maybe she didn't really choose it maybe she felt forced into it because of the time period she was living in i don't know she was living in like 2000 (laughs) yes but but the culture has shifted quite a bit in the last few decades i mean man isn't it weird that we're saying that about the year 2000 now it's but it's but it's so wild it's it's really true i mean if you think about just even the way that um even the way feminism has shifted in the last 20 years even last 10 years i do think that even in the late nineties and the early two thousands there, I don't think the conversations about parenthood were quite as loud or like motherhood specifically, maybe that's partially because of the internet and the way that has democratized the conversation. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so much to say about that, but I do know that I grew up in a fairly patriarchal home environment and that was in the nineties. So I'm, I don't know. I, I I think it's, I'm actually not surprised at all that she would have felt pressured to marry and have kids uh, at that point in her life. Well, I mean, she does then say it, later on that like the reason, I mean, because it's at some point she leaves for like, apparently, what was it? Three years, just like fucks mm-hmm. off for three years and then comes back and says like, I missed them. And she like openly says like, I'm a selfish human being. And then later on says I'm not a natural mother, which I is, is like a tantalizingly ambiguous line. Cause it's almost like I'm an unnatural mother. Like it's not, she's, it, it feels like she's not saying mothering didn't come naturally to me. It feels like she's saying I am a mother, but not of the natural sort. Did anyone else <laughs> feel that? Am I, did I read that line too hard? <laughs> I read it as it doesn't come easy to me. Okay. No, for me, it was like, you don't understand. Like I'm a mom, but like, I'm different. Like to me, it, it was almost much more sinister than that. It was like, it was like, this is how I operate. You know, it's just like, I was cruel to my children and now I'm being cruel to your child because that's what life is. It's cruelty. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't read it as that. I, I, I mean, maybe, I mean, yes, she's being cruel, but I think first and foremost, She's tapping into something that she lost in her own childhood because the way she cares for that baby doll and the way she attaches herself to it, I think is very much almost like living out a trauma. And I'm not really quite sure the origins of that, but she's, she's talking about this, like, I think she's connected to a doll she had as a child and something that her own daughter rejects. Am I missing? Am I misremembering that? So, so she says, I think it was called, Mima, or which was like mini mom or something. And mm-hmm. it was a doll from mm-hmm. her childhood and she gave it to her child and her child like drew on it. And she was like, this is mine. Like, I, how could you treat it like this? And the child rightly says, you gave it to me. It's mine now. And then she fucking threw it out a window. The, the mother threw it oh, out yes. the window, not yes. the child. Yeah. And then it I shattered into that. a billion pieces. 
I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm just relating a lot more to Lita <laughs> than I should admit. But I, I was about like, to say, how could you say something so brave? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I think there is that sort of vindictive part of myself. And that's what I'm afraid of in terms of having children is being that kind of mom where I'm like, no, these are my toys. Fuck off. And yet, why am I saving all these toys? I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to give it to my child. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> if that's why you're saving them, you got to do it. So, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, this, is, this is one of those things where I, I sometimes sit down and I'm like, maybe I don't know what it's like to be a parent because uh, my daughter's just great. Like, maybe I just lucked out, like, luck of the draw style. Mm, maybe. <laughs> like, yeah, you've said this. Right, because, like, again, because the only... Uh, luckily, I've finally started to talk to more parents, like actual honest to God parents who live in my community. And I'm starting to think that I'm not just luck of the draw, that many people do have a normal experience with their children. But like, mm -hmm. I'm saturated with a lot of pop culture that's like, if you're not, uh, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker style standing over your child with a knife ready to strike it down because of the darkness within it, you're not doing it right. Like, it's very strange to me how often i just think about like how i'll just have to say to cora once like you know like you know stop that sit down calm down she's like okay and then does it and i'm like like have i abused her like in a, in a movie this would cause an eruption the likes of which had never been seen by man or god and yet and yet it's it's not a problem <laughs> i don't know it's very odd you know it's always your first kid that's like that because what I've often seen is people who have a really great first kid and they're like, oh, perfect. We're going to have a second one. And the second one's like a total monster. Right. It's the same so. thing with pets too. Like yeah. I, I had a friend, <laughs> I moved into his apartment after college and he was like, my girlfriend and I are going to get a second cat. And I was like, don't. He's like, why? And I was like, because Abby is fucking perfect. Mm -hmm. Abby is the greatest cat ever. So your next cat by the rules of cartoon is going to be a fucking nightmare. And they got yeah. Layla, and Layla was a nightmare. Layla tried to kill my lizard. Layla <laughs> shat in my suitcase as I was moving in. That kills lizards. That doesn't make her a monster. Abby never tried to kill a lizard. Maybe <laughs> Abby, Abby was, a great was cat. just like the embarrassment of her race or something. Good. <laughs> Cats suck anyway. They should. Cats be fucking kill lizards. Very pro Egyptian going on here. <laughs> I'm very pro cats killing things. I'm very pro killing cats. I'm joking. Oh, man. That's the thing that's going to do it. I'm finally going to get canceled because of that thing. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I've been worried about so many of the wrong things. Mm, I, I took a, a test, a personality-related test this week, and it was like, do you laugh at inappropriate things? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> no, they're all very, very funny. <laughs> I was very amused. Um, so So let's pull back a little bit to the movie because so much stuff happens related to this family related to her feelings of being a sexual person. And that also comes in conflict with this woman, Dakota Johnson, which again, I think we're in the spoiler section. We are in a so spoiler section. Yes. Lita has a flirtation with this young, I think he's a waiter or he's some kind of like, He's like a general concierge. beach concierge guy. Yeah. Yeah. Played by Paul Mescal, who uh, who is a really great actor. And I loved him in that. 
Irish miniseries, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, and right. <laughs> she's ha- what was the name of that miniseries? Uh, Is it the one about the people that were in love? Yeah, ordinary folk or whatever, something like that. But he's really good in it, and I'll look it up. Yes, thank you. And so she has this flirtation with him, and you think that he's also kind of interested in her too. But it just kind of turns out that he's having an affair with Dakota Johnson, who is married mm-hmm. to this, you know, uh, this hothead like, Greek. Yeah, I was going to call him a Guido type. But that seems offensive. It's offensive um, to Italians, uh, which, you know, right. <laughs> that's not even the right person. And it was normal not, people. It wasn't ordinary folk. It was normal right, people. Right. Thank you. I mean, totally, totally innocuous title that nobody should ever have to remember. Um so she, so he's having an affair with, with Dakota Johnson, and and I think that also brings out a lot of Olivia Coleman's resentment because she's part of I think the thread of her character is that she's now middle aged, she's no longer I think in that really passionate sexual relationship with uh, Peter Scar- Sarsgaard, and also obviously lost her husband when she left her children, and she's just kind of moved past that phase in in her life. And so when she does, uh, you know, enjoy that fleeting attraction to this younger man, uh, I think it, it buoyed her up and learning that he was actually just sleeping with this hot young woman uh, gave her more reason to resent this family and resent, you know, everything that's happening. And obviously there's parallelism to her own affair and, you know, being a bad mother and all of that kind of stuff. So it just keeps kind of uh, collapsing in on itself. Like all of these teams keep keep coming back and Mm -hmm. forward. And I'm really curious what you all think of the ending. Cause I've read a few different analyses and I'm not sure what to think. I was super excited when she got stabbed. (laughs) <laughs> with the mini mini <clears throat> with the hat pin yeah the, the, yeah, the hat pin the hat yeah. pin comes back bro. that happened and I was like fuck yeah Dakota Johnson <laughs> wow okay. um again I, I not not you know it, it seemed like someone had to get through to her um and putting something through her was the way to do it oh I just, Jesus <laughs> I know I'm sorry as soon as I realized I could say that I was like yeah I'm gonna have to do this rhetorical mirroring so so remind me uh like the construction of that scene it was it was lita finally admitting that she took the doll right yeah she's like hey here it is and then she's like oh my god you found it and she's like no i took it and she's like why and she said i can't even remember what her reason was because at that point it was like fucking anthony perkins and psycho you're just like this is not a human being anymore yeah yeah like you know like this is like banana grams and um and so dakota johnson's like you've seen us suffering like you've seen what was going on like why would you fucking keep the doll and she that's the point where she says like i'm not a natural mother and then uh what (laughs) you don't like my my british accent um it works yeah and then dakota johnson stabs her in the fucking abdomen with a hat pin and it's basically like, stay the fucking fuck away from me, you bitch. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she went on a drive and like fell asleep. And I hoped she died, but she didn't. Or she did. And she walked or to she the did. beach. 
Yeah, but I don't like that. I'm fucking over that kind of ending. Like, tell me yeah, what happens to her. Yeah. I will say, though, the fact that she goes to the beach, collapses, wakes up, makes a phone call, and her daughters actually want to talk to her makes me think that she did die. Because earlier in the movie... <laughs> That's early, a lot of people have argued that. Right, because earlier in the movie, she's like, oh, hello, darlings. Like, I'm at, I just saw the wonder... Oh, okay, you're going to leave? Right, because you don't give a shit about me because I'm a fucking selfish human being and I'm trying to maintain a connection with you because it makes me feel good, not because I think it's actually good for you. Like, yeah, of course you're not going to give a shit what I'm looking at because everything I built was on the back of a massive betrayal. I do find that the way that that truth unfolds very interesting because when you when you first start out you're like oh here's another woman whose kids don't have the time of day for her and she's just like kind of gonna wander around and have a i don't know like a how stella got her groove back like i had no idea what to expect like (laughs) see i think i think that uh for those opening scenes i was i won't say poisoned uh but i will say uh my my view of it was tinted because i believe that you had said like, oh, it's about a mother who leaves her children. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to spoil I that. I mean, it doesn't, Shit. it doesn't, it's not, like, I, the problem is that I think I'd already known that. Like, that's, I, I read a New York Times article that was like, hey, the hot new thing for moms in narrative films is to leave their kids. <laughs> and it was like, Jesus one of them. Jesus Christ. It, it, legitimately, that was like the, the, the thrust of the article. And in fact, I think I have it saved on pocket because one of the, one of the things that they talked about was this. And another was like, uh, it's another one of those weird titles that I kind of hate. Yeah, all right. So it's it's a New York Times article, <laughs> hilariously titled, Mommy is Going Away for a While. <laughs> it's written by Amanda Hess and Liana Finnick. Uh, it was published in January. And it says, the anti-heroine of the moment in movies like The Lost Daughter and novels like I Love You But I've Chosen Darkness commits the mother's ultimate sin, abandoning her child. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, so, I do think it's oh, interesting from a marriage narratively. Was another thing that they talked about. See, so, but what's interesting is that, and I read this article twice, and maybe I just need to work on my reading comprehension, because I still don't understand if it's saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. But, like, it, it does seem to think that, like, there is a limitation to the way that these stories are constructed. Because it's the last line uh spoilers for this opinion piece i guess even as these stories work to uncover motherhood's complex emotional truths they indulge their own little fiction that a mother only becomes interesting when she stops being one which Mm. i tend to agree with but i think that goes back to one of the things that i've said a couple times on this podcast and that uh i think i've said this on the happiest season episode that we did Mm-hmm. which is that no one wants to see someone who's in a good place in their life. Narratively, that's very difficult to pull off in an interesting way. And um, it's a lot easier. Sure. To just- this is, this is, yeah, this is why like so many straight couples are like a shit show in TV and like gay people are finally like, Oh, like, like look, look at this shit show. And it's like, it, why are you showing a shit show with gay couples? And it's like, uh, because that's what right. we do. Because, because, and I think in happy season, I said, because you can't just coast on the novelty of being a gay couple anymore. Now you've hit the straight couple problem, which is it's boring as fuck to watch a happy couple. We need to ruin this. And like, there was that that concept of like the straights are not okay and it's like no they're fine but in movies you need tension and the easiest way to build up tension 
is to cause a problem. And the easiest and most compelling way to cause a problem is to basically indulge in behavior that if it happened in the real world would be the reddest and largest of red flags. Mm -hmm. So yes. So I don't know. Um, I can't even remember why I brought up that New York times article. I think it was just the, I can't remember. I can't remember. I keep going. This on idea fears. that <laughs> abandonment is like the hot new trend yes. in narrative. Did we lose Robin? Hello? Yeah. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Did there I cut are. out? A little bit. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, just that, the, that you were saying that this is the hot new trend in narrative. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in and that and oh that's why i was talking about it because that is the reason that i had already known that this was so it's not totally your fault robin that i was quote unquote spoiled on this movie but i also there is just a part of me that's like if i didn't know that going in i think i would have been even more over this movie more quickly because at least what do you think yeah at least knowing that she had that 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 I don't want to say damage because I don't know how much it really affected her, but at least knowing that she had that kink in her life's narrative thread Ooh. kept me not that kind <laughs> that's, of kink. That's, that's that's what you went with. Okay. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm thinking of like a thread or a rope or a hose, and it has a kink in it. I'm not thinking of it the <laughs> okay. other way. And now I can't even okay. say naughty because both of the god damn it anyway because of that <laughs> Sorry. twist elsewhere in her life i was like all right well at least i've got that to look forward to whereas otherwise i would have been like why am i following around this sociopath you follow around sociopaths all the fucking time but again they're Nobody usually watches taxi driver being like why am i following around the sociopath it's because he's interesting yeah but and you want to see what he does next is an interesting sociopath and she is not an interesting sociopath what are the differences here is it their gender i was about to say well obviously it's because he's a man <laughs> also because his clothing is better <laughs> oh god and i respect mm. cab drivers more than i respect academics you relate more to a 20-something-year-old taxi driver in the 70s trying to save a prostitute than you do a woman who has lifted herself out of poverty and possible trauma and neglect only to then reinforce that trauma on her children. I don't know. I just find it very, in- I just find Here's, her interesting. What I, what I find interesting about what you said, Robin, is that you are assuming some kind of trauma and neglect, but I don't think we have any, any, uh, we don't, ha- we don't know. We don't know. Like, we don't know if she was abused. We don't know if she just had a shitty mom. I don't think that she, she has. Cause poor. she doesn't say like my mom fucking burned me with, uh, the fucking, uh, iron. There's you know? more ways to abuse somebody than physically harming right but her she didn't say like after everything my mother did to me she she says something about blackness which is vague but i guess but then her her one thing is she didn't finish school like that's not even something that i think i would be fully aware of in my own parents (laughs) what like i don't know like it just seems weird to me that like that's the thing that she would really latch on to is that her mom didn't finish school you don't think an academic would judge 
her parents for not finishing school? I think, I don't, you know, there's a part of me, at first, I feel like academics are really getting beat up on, so I'm very happy that I now (laughs) get to say something positive about them. I think that a true academic would be able to find in the circumstances of their uneducated parents a note of victory that they were able to raise an academic. I think that they are that self-regarding that they would be like, my mom didn't have much. She couldn't read her own name, but she did raise me, Lita, the world or champion of be... translating Yates into Italian. <laughs> or Lita could be like, I'm amazing. I got out of that hellhole. No thanks to you, mother. Yeah, but you know, but then the whole thing is like, I would believe her. <laughs> and believe I, maybe her. that's maybe that's a failure of the construction of the narrative. Maybe we need a little more of that. Maybe we need more than just Jesse Buckley wearing headphones with her mouth open, looking pissed off all the time. All right. So let's talk about the performances then, because okay. I think that we've been talking so much about the themes and the and the plot but not well, it's, other it, ways this movie is constructed. I will say that, you know, it, and this is how a lot of the movies that I haven't liked have gone recently is that as much as I don't like them, they are rich tonally and, and thematically, and they open up an excellent vein of discussion. So that's a good thing. <laughs> Do we not agree with me that that's a good thing? <laughs> um, No, I was just thinking sort of about whether we dis. I was thinking about whether you and Bill dislike this movie because of moralism or because of, I mean, I don't know. I'm, don't I'm trying to get it. Don't him. Well, I don't know. I mean, cause I, I, I thought about it, you know, cause I was like, is, is it just that like, it's a woman that I, you know, but like, I think of like, um, I think of, I, I tried to think of other abandoning mothers and I went to Peggy Olson and Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And Peggy Olsen is, is she a, a, an abandoning mother? Uh, she comes. Uh, spoilers. She's in, in and out. She's she's in and out. She's in and out. No, she. I don't see her as an abandoner. I think she tried to she, save she, her child's life. Wait, Peggy Olsen? <laughs> yes. The, the first. Uh, <sighs> All right. If you haven't seen that, then now turn this off. Okay. She had yeah, a child. Yeah. I'm almost positive that they that the state stepped in on that and like took the baby no she agreed to give it up okay so then there you go so she is i would say that that makes her an abandoning mother because i believe that you know that she had a a support system that would have allowed her you know to to help raise that child yeah but if she was in such uh psychological pain that she denied that entire pregnancy then I don't think she was would have been well enough to care for it, even with a support system. Right. But so see, here's the thing is that like everything that we're talking about right now is a lot more interesting and meaningful to me than anything that happens in this movie. And also like the way that we see Peggy grapple with her own choice. Like one time she weaponizes it against Pete to, to symbolically castrate him, you know, because he's having yeah. so much trouble conceiving with his own wife. And she's like, Oh Oh, Peter, I could have had you. All right. I had a baby. I gave it up. You've got a son somewhere. Go fuck yourself, Campbell. But then there are times (laughs) when she looks at like her sister's children and has a like kind of like, what have I done? Have I made the right choices? And Peggy is not. I don't know. Like, I don't like she is a brittle, complex 
uh, assertive, standoffish character who, like most characters in Mad Men, you vacillate between love and hate uh, for like the entire run of the show. You just love Peggy. I don't know anybody who hates Peggy. There, I would say there are times when she does stuff and you're like, oh, God damn it, Peggy. Well, yeah, you could be mad at her, but I don't think she's a love-hate character. I think she's a love-love character. <laughs> All right. But there are times when you question her decisions and, and the choices she's made. And in a sure. way that can she, because of your love of her, will make you upset because you want what's best for her. I don't know what to say. You're not always on her side, right? But you're yeah. always in her corner. Does that make sense? Is that an acceptable? Yes, of course. Right. So a thing like that, which I realize is a thing that Peter Campbell says all the time, and I just said it. Um, that's a character that I I get behind, and I I am find compelling in all of her flawed human humanity, in a way that I don't quite find this character. Like I just there's something different here, and you know you could say it's a, a moralizing thing, but you know I'm. I don't know. I just I feel like it's not the morality of her choice so much as like the 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 evidence that we get to support it or the evidence that we get to inform it. You know, so like maybe I don't know. I don't know. There's no easy answer. Bill, what what do you think is the crux of your disappointment? If not in this in in this film? Yeah. Yeah. Of my disappointment in this, in yeah, like this what kept film. you on the outside? Like, what was the deciding factor? <laughs> I, like, I, it- I just, <laughs> I, and I know a lot of films do this, and and it's it's becoming a bigger issue with me. It, it, it's a particular issue that usually shows up in uh, TV shows where a character has like a mysterious background and you're like, Oh boy. Okay. What, what's it going to be? And in this film, it's just her abandoning her daughters, which is like (laughs) too pedestrian for Bill. (laughs) Like, I I get it. I get it. Like that's, that's a big deal. Right. But I was just like, Oh, holy shit. Like, like that's 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 where we're at. Like really? Like we can't I'm not saying we have to do better, but I am saying what the fuck? Um because I don't know. This this film seems so predicated on like her being this mysterious and like crazy character and all she did was kind of and she didn't like abandon her kids to nobody she left them with her <laughs> husband and and her mother-in-law right like right. like it's, it's a much better movie if she took them to a target and then just left <laughs> it, like like yeah she didn't abandon them abandon them at like the firehouse steps right she she just like i don't think you can do that she... after like five days <laughs> i feel like hey, you can't do I, that I, with kind her. of oh this is fascinating like on the one hand you have Brian, who's just like this woman's a horrible monster. She left her children. I think that leaving the children is the best possible kids. thing she could do for those kids. I think that there's they're probably super happy without her. And when she came back, they were probably like, oh fuck. Like you know, I think, it's I the monstrousness doesn't come from the the leaving. She had already she never seemed to be present to begin with. 
yeah, yeah. No, I get that. She's an yeah. unnatural mother. And okay, <laughs> let me argue that this she's is a supernatural from... mother. <laughs> the, the, maybe this is, and I'm not saying this is. I'm not saying that all of your choices and feelings come down to your religion, but I do wonder if your core beliefs about propagating families and kind of everything being surrounded by the family and everything uh, being about family kind of comes from your, your core, like moral beliefs about that. And again, like I'm not creating it to be this like exoticized creature. If I were more religious, maybe I would feel the same way, but I do, I do wonder if um, I do wonder if that's how you're reading the movie is just this idea that not, not because she's a woman, but because family is everything to you and raising your daughter is everything to you. So it's like hard for you to maybe imagine somebody making the choice to be a, a parent and then like maybe regret it or feel like they ultimately have a bigger destiny that goes beyond creating a new family. This is clearly not for me, Brian, because I don't, <laughs> no, no, I don't this, have... is, this is directed to Brian. Well, I, you know, what's 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 interesting. I was going to say, though, is like we've been talking a lot about this and like we've heard, you know, Robin, about your things. But I'm I'm still like, Bill, you've been oddly quiet about, you know, child having <laughs> of all kinds. He said before that he doesn't want kids. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, they, and Bill shouldn't because he's just like, oh, all she did was abandon her kids. She didn't like set them on fire or anything. But, you know, what's weird is that I oddly yeah. enough, like I, I do agree with Bill. So it is it is weird to me that like there's so much like it seems to weigh on her so heavily. But it's like you just left like good, good for fuck's sake. Get out. You weren't that great <laughs> there. <laughs> Again, like if if you aren't going to be a mother. OK, then then get the fuck out like right. you're like i i don't want you hanging on and just being like oh well, you, you know there I, is a I, legitimate yeah, yeah. point wherein a disengaged mother becomes a hindrance to the functioning of a household and i in no way or a am disengaged saying this. parent or a disengaged mother i only can speak <laughs> to my own experience <laughs> Jesus, Robin. but i will that say was a little bit of a setup <laughs> i will say uh that i would assume it would cut both ways and that in leaving not having to hold the slack of that person's emotional and psychological torpitude you are able to uh, excel as a family so i imagine that that guy her her husband who I guess his his job is being on the phone with Columbia. Is that what we're meant to assume? His He's job another is? academic, I think. Yeah, but it's like a Sunday, and she's like, it, uh, "It's like, what did she say? It's like it's your shift, or like I'm off today, or something." And he's like, "I'm on the phone with Columbia," and she's like, "Well, I'm aggressively listening to headphones." Um, but I will say that, like the, the when that disengaged parent leaves everything gets a lot easier <laughs> um so yeah i don't know i'm sorry robin you had that we had said that something was directly towards me but now we've talked about so much other stuff that i've, I've oh i was saying thread. that i wonder if your core feelings about this movie arise from your like grounded values related to religion 
Wow, religion. All right, I hadn't even seen. I know. That I, I no. Here. I think it's like I. I maybe I was pe- speaking over somebody, but I think I wonder if your feelings about this movie are like essentially part of your core Catholicism. It's possible. I mean, there are definitely times when I I consider how much of my my personality has been forged by my Catholicism. Um, I don't like today in church. Uh, we the the priest brought up the concept of like turning the other cheek, and he's like, you know, people constantly think of that as like a passive thing. It's a thing that a passive person does. You know, it's a concept of pacifism, which sounds like mm-hmm. passive. Blah blah blah. But turning the other cheek is actually like an intense act of will. You know, it's actually harder to turn the other cheek than to lash out because everything in your body is screaming to lash out. And so you have to overcome that. And then you have to actually make the effort to make yourself vulnerable again. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I mean, like I've, I've always intuitively known that. But like, you know, hearing him say that, I was like, right, right. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And then I wonder, like, how much of my life is the things that I intuitively know have been instilled by Catholicism. Like today I, I had to bring my daughter to the distillery because, uh, my partner at the distillery was on vacation. Um, my, my, my ex-wife who tried to, I can't think of a non incendiary way to say this (laughs) yesterday. She wasn't feeling well and she wanted to bring Cora home early. So there was no way she was going to be able to do anything with her today. And all three of my potential babysitters were busy today. And so I said, I, I can make this work. I will bring Cora to the distillery. I will do tours and tastings and she will be by my side or in the office. And, you know, I will make this work. And I did. And I was talking to a friend about it. And I was like, why am I the only person who's capable of fulfilling all the responsibilities? And she said, because that's the type of person that you are. That's the type of person you always have been. And that's the person you're going to die as. And there are too few of you in the world but like, thank God that you're here. And I was like, yeah, honestly, I guess so. But like, it doesn't feel to me like that's an act of will that I'm doing. But apparently it is because it's a very easy thing. In fact, John Mulaney has the whole joke about it's so easy to not do things. You know, at some point today, I could have I could have just thrown up my hands and said, like, that's it. I'm, I'm off. Like, everything sucks. We're going to go home and I'm just going to pout. And I'm not going to engage with anything, but I didn't, you know, like there's a reason that when my ex is like, oh, I don't feel well today. Like I'm going to not come or like, you know, oh, something's gone wrong. Like, can I come late? I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. But I never have that option. Like rain or shine, sick or healthy, work or not. I've got to be all things to all people all the time. So like, yeah, that is just an ingrained part of myself and my being and it's possible that all of that comes from Catholicism. I'd like to think that there are people in this world who operate in that way who are atheists or, you know, anything else. Well, I'm sure there are. But like And also, I just want to be clear, that's not a criticism by any means. Like No, I, I mean, if well, I don't yeah, I don't know that anyone's ever brought up my religion in a way that felt like a criticism to me. Um as long as they know me, like I'm sure strangers have done it to me and I've been like, "Hey, fuck you, a stupid oh." <laughs> there's nothing to you, critique. Stupid old. I mean, there's there's, there's nothing to critique here in terms of like one's core values and things like that. I just I I mean, I would probably be annoyed if somebody was like, "Oh, you only do that because you're like you know Jewish or something." But there are certain cultural things that I do because I am Jewish, not necessarily religious things, though. 
mm-hmm. because I'm just not, I'm pretty secular myself, but um, well, I think I just I, want that to be clear. I also had, uh, you know, I would say that I lived in a, a quote unquote patriarchal family in the nineties, but at the same time, my mother would go to New York for two days every week to keep managing the doctor's office that she had been managing when they moved to Maryland. You know, my dad on those days would come home and be the parent, the only parent literally in the entire state. Um, at the same time, he was the primary breadwinner for the house, but he constantly made time to go to all the school functions and stuff. You know, I had seen him cook not particularly well, you know, but he could make mac and cheese and we would get, you know, take and bake pizzas Though back in those days, children, you would get a pizza kit and you'd actually make oh, the pizza oh, together, oh. right? It's like called a, a Lunchable. No, it was like a bobbly <laughs> pizza. You know, you'd get it and you'd get like the frozen crust and then you'd squeeze the, the tomato paste onto it. You'd spread it around. You'd put the cheese. Ooh. Anyway, so like stuff like that, like some of my greatest memories. In fact, my daughter wanted to watch Up today. Um, I don't remember why. Oh, oh, because we were walking to church and she saw a squirrel and said squirrel. And I said, yep. She said, remember that movie with the dog and it constantly and it always said squirrel. And I said, yeah. And she said, what was the name of that movie? And I said, up. And she said, up. And I said, yup. And then realized how confusing that would be. And I said, yes, the name <laughs> of the movie is up. And she said, can we watch up tonight? And I said, sure. And of course, like she's looking forward to seeing the bird and the dogs. But first, you have to get through the miscarriage and the death. But there's a point in that movie where uh Russell, the the young boy who is with Carl Fredrickson, talks about getting ice cream with his father and sitting on a particular curb and um, like spotting how many blue cars there are. And he says, like, it's it's I think it's the the boring stuff that I'll remember most. And I think about mm-hmm. that sometimes because a lot of my memories of my father are like those boring moments when we were like at home and my mom has gone somewhere and we'd like bust out one of these pizza kits and make them together as a family. But aren't the little things the things that make us happy? Well, it's it's the, the little things are the little things because they happen all the time, right? Like they are constancy and they are they are the sense of security that I think is like you said, it makes you happy because the thing that makes you happiest in the world is being able to predict certain things. I won't say like, you know, being in a rut is good, but not having to worry about food. <laughs> knowing that you are loved like these are the things that are constant that we don't think of as constant but that's the constancy that allows for the surprises elsewhere but it is the it is the recollection of that stability and the non-miraculousness of of that affection that makes everything else possible so yeah i think that like you know there is a there is and i you know again i was raised by great parents uh mom and dad if you're listening to this first of all i'm sorry i'm cursing so much but uh you know (laughs) (laughs) you are you are in fact fantastic um but yeah i was raised by really good parents so i think that helps me to be a good parent and has helped to inform the person i am at the same time those parents are catholic and took me to church every weekend so it is a possibility that their goodness as parents was informed by their Catholicism or my view of Catholicism and the way that I've attached it to myself in a positive way is a function of them. I don't think you can really separate the two. It's just, but that's why when watching this movie, when she left the part of me that the, the thing about the leaving that I hated the most is that like, they're like, where are you going? Where are you going? And she just fucking leaves. And it's a pattern in this movie. Speaking of constancy, 
of her not simply engaging with her children. And that's what annoyed the shit out of me the most. So like when she left, I was like, good, you were never really there. Mm. Like the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Do you think oh, she's boy. a rageaholic? I don't I don't know, because like she didn't I want to say like, you know, she's not like it's not like falling down, you know, she doesn't seem like she's angry all the time, but like she's definitely unhappy. And it's possible that her rage is like so all consuming that it's almost paralyzing. So it's possible. I mean, like, I don't want to start trying to attach psychological diagnoses diagnoses to this woman. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a part of me when I was watching the movie, I was like, is she bipolar? Is she borderline? You know, but like, I'm not. I think she's just depressed. I think she just sucks. <laughs> it's possible that she's depressed. But then, like, there is that kind of depression where you start to lash out at people and you want them to oh, be yeah. as upset as you are. I have had numerous friends and honestly, probably myself at certain times in my life do that. And so, um, yeah, it's it's totally possible that she is. And that can be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, I would say, like, Manchester by the Sea is an, is an as- aspect of that. But, like, to go back to Bill's point, <laughs> in that movie, I think that the trauma <laughs> is worth the squeeze. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in this movie, it's like, you left. And it was probably, honestly, the best thing for everyone. Yeah. I was actually I am shocked that they didn't show us her coming back because what would what was that day like? Like, I'm back. Let's all go to Friendly's and get an ice cream cone. Like mm. you know? Bananas. Yeah. She makes a very no awkward bueno. sexual joke to that Irishman about her children. Mm. A, I know. Wheel, a, a wheel sandwich. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I enjoyed this movie, and I enjoyed I can, Jillian I, Hall's writing and the way she. Had, I mean, I haven't read the novella, but I I appreciate what I know of the novella and the way she adapted it. And I think, Bill, to your point about the confusing geographical dynamics, I think one thing that maybe doesn't translate as well is the fact that it the film is actually yeah. I think the film is actually set in Italy, and there's and in the original novella, they're all Italian. It's just, you know, she's she's an Italian. The family that she's uh, in conflict with is Italian, and they're all in Italy on a vacation. And I think when you bring in her being British, but living in America and dealing with these Greek Americans who are sort of in the in a in a more disrespected class, and they're all in Greece, it just it gets a little bit layered in a way that's confusing whereas i think maybe it makes a little more sense if they all were representing one kind of nation state or one kind of culture um so i agree that it doesn't translate as well okay yeah because that was again that was confusing i was i was just confused i i felt like i i was not aware of all of these cultural tensions and things like that and it was just kind of thrown to me and then <laughs> like god bless you brian but you were like really you didn't realize this and i'm like what? how why why would i know this like what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> i do so. it, it is one of those things where i wonder every now and then like you know because like i used to write stories and novels and stuff and i'm like how much do i have to explain to people 
Well, like, like this, this came up in a, in a Facebook pro, uh, post that uh, our, our mutual friend Dan Gavazdan made about mm-hmm. the Empire State Building, right? Oh, right, and, yeah. There was the and his post about the fact that the Empire State Building is in the background of this, like, quote unquote, like mysterious so photo the, of the person gone, taking a famous. Yeah, yeah. This, the, this so the, viral the context post. for this is there was a viral post that was like, you know, everyone knows the, the picture of the steel workers on the, the beam eating lunch, making the Empire State Building. But this is the man who took that picture, taking that picture. And it was a picture of a man with a camera standing on a beam in a very precarious way. And in the background (laughs) behind him is the completed Empire State Building. And Dan Gavazin's point was the the lack of like literacy and the excess of credulity is such that no one can really see what the obvious tell that this viral post is lying is. And and my point was, you would have to know what the Empire State Building actually looks like, and to be able to recognize it from like a blurry background in in this photo, right. and like realize and, and like, to me, that's oh, the craziest that's thing I've ever heard because everyone knows what the Empire State Building looks like, but maybe they don't. Exactly, yeah. and and that was my point was I had to, I had to read his message. Look at the image and go, there is something in the image that is telling me that this is incorrect. And I was like, oh, it, or it, it was in the language of the post itself, the, the viral post. And I was like, it says Empire State Building. What does that look like? And I had to Google it just to make sure. Right. I knew it looked like a spire, but I didn't know. OK, is, is it like all the way a spire or does it end in a spire? How much how you know, what, what are the exact look, you know, details of how it looks? And I was like, oh, OK. And so I just Googled Empire State Building, found the look, looked at that image and was like, oh, OK, I, I see what the saying is here. But that would also require someone to have like a a detailed knowledge of what the Empire State Building looks like to be able to look at a blurry photo or a a photo with a blurry background, recognize that the Empire State Building is in that blurry background and be like, oh, what the fuck is going on here? Like they're building the the building that they're in. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. And it's just like, okay. But my point was at what point, is someone supposed to know what the Empire State Building looks like? Right. Or Why in the case of this they? movie, how, yeah. how would you? Like, how much do you know about the the Greek diaspora? <laughs> exactly, and that there's there's a a healthy, you know, uh, uh, uh clan system <laughs> I, I don't know how to word this i retain you is is that uh, that retinue. feels like the word i was like was re- reaching for and i feel like that that works I but you just I, gotta I, do whatever feels right in your heart bill <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah i i felt like oh okay well, am i supposed to know that there's like a healthy greek like you know population uh, uh population in in new york and why and again i I feel like that's something that every human being on earth should know but yeah i'm with brian but that's again you know robin and i are are from that area to an extent yeah but i think i generally know where different 
populations of migrants settled in the U.S. Yeah, like Germans went to Pennsylvania. I don't. I, I will be very, very honest. I don't think about the Greeks too much because they haven't had a Our ton Greek of. Listenership fi- is taking a fucking pounding <laughs> this episode. Oh God. I don't think about them too much because they haven't had that. I don't think of that as Please like a movie thing. Please be very careful what you're going to yeah. say. I don't think of that as like a movie thing. I, okay, I mean, look, if, 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 you, if you told me that they were Italians and they were doing this in Italy, right, and they were from New York, I would be like, of course. Like, I get it, right? right. Because of all the Italian things that have been Prop or perpetrated in the media and everything like that, right? Like yeah, no, that you know, you got the mob and and all of that stuff. Right, the mob alone it. gives that. I mean, like you know, when you think exactly. about Greeks, but, but in, when in I American think of Greeks, I don't, I, I, I don't think. Uh, I mean, one. I guess the food. I guess the food is is something that I should think about in that way, but. I don't know. Like it's it's just one of those things where I'm just like Greeks, where, huh, who, what, and then and then this film is like, don't you know? And I'm like, uh, I'm a stupid though. I don't why, know. <laughs> why couldn't you just? Here's my question: Why couldn't you just roll with the punch? Like, why couldn't um, she say I'm from Queens and you go, oh, okay, I guess she's from Queens? No, like it, you, it, you that's, that's not that's to. not what I said. That's not what I said. I said I said oh. It, 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 she said she said to uh 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 not Gyllenhaal uh, 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 uh Olivia Coleman's character yeah. you sound like you're from Queens and i was like whoa that's weird and then she goes i'm from where she she didn't say she was from Queens too she said she was from another uh so Coleman Coleman says she's from Cambridge which is just outside of Boston and it's like a, a uh-huh. polite way of saying i fucking work at Harvard bitch um yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Robin does that to people. I love saying I'm from Cambridge. <laughs> my, one of my favorite uh, 30 Rock jokes. In, in the UK? <laughs> one of my favorite 30 Rock jokes is when Twofer is like, I went to school in Boston. Well, not in Boston. Around, like near Boston. No, not Tufts. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, oh, uh, what, what was what was the other one? They make fun of him going to Harvard so much. Oh, what's a major? Oh, I'm sorry. At Harvard, we call them concentrations. They are concentrations. <laughs> oh. And I have to code switch back and forth all the time because I'm just like, oh, what's your concentration? I mean, what's your major? Um, and then if I say major at work, I'm embarrassed. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> like, ooh, who let this pro in here? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Someone get the Plebs. vacuum and follow her on Plebs. her way out so we can pick up the coal <laughs> dust. The My husband, <laughs> who has threatened to do that. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, so, 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 so she says just outside of Boston. Uh-huh. And then the other girl's like, okay, the other girl, the other woman is like, no, where are your people from? And she's like, My people. And then she says Leeds, and then the girl's like, oh, posh, that's like upper crust. And she's like, no, it's not really. And she's like, well, I'm from Queens, bitch. I can't yeah. remember. That's 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 how that whole thing Can went. we just shout out <laughs> that actress who is fantastic, and I can't pronounce her last name. Oh, yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> I liked her a lot. I First of all, she's great in this movie. She's also excellent in Succession. And I think, so her first name is Dagmara. I want to say Dominic. It looks Dominic. Dominic. 
Dominic. Yeah, I think it's Dominic. Thank you. Yeah, she's fabulous, but I also super love her in Succession. Who is she in Succession? She plays the communications expert. But she only has like one look an episode. Like she looks much older in this film. She does. Well, you know, she's pregnant. I don't know. They Um, do I think they do a good job of creating Carolina as a character. She doesn't get a lot to do, but I think I like her character, but I yeah, Carolina seems like she's like a 30 year old, like, like assistant. In, yes. Also, in I couldn't show. tell you three things about Carolina. The she's 45. <laughs> the fact that her yeah, last name is Novotny is a shock to me. Carolina. Like, I feel like Carolina's like a Maris on that show. Like I hear her name spoken more than I hear her speak. That's yes. probably true. I agree. But I think. Uh, Jeremy Armstrong and company are so precise in the way they Strong. cast. I'm sorry, what? Oh, oh, you're talking. <laughs> oh, God, did I just confuse them? No, yeah. yeah uh, Jeremy Armstrong. Arm- it's Jeremy Jesse, Armstrong. Jesse Armstrong. That's right. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I definitely J- Jeremy Strong. <laughs> I was like, Mark what is going on? Jesse Armstrong, who's the EP, is very, very precise in how he casts uh-huh. yes. the supporting actors. So it's not just. Like they're never just like, oh, we just have to get some like a body in the room. They need somebody who's like very good at comic timing because they need everybody to be on point, not just the That's family. Shocking. I can't tell you a single thing that Carolina has ever done in that show. I think she got out of a car once, right? And it was like Oh, she's so funny. I don't know. Yeah, there was a, there good. was another person. It was that uh, there was like a person named Jess or Jessa Jess, or someone. Yes. And that was Jess another person where- really well. Yeah. I was like, oh, like I think I know that person, and I think they're good. And then I don't even know if they're still on the show anymore. I have yes, no, yes. I have no concept. Like it, it almost seems like there was an entire second show being shot in time, and they just like cut them all. Well, we could talk a whole lot about Succession, but we, I just want to should <laughs> shout out Dagmara Dominchik. Who's great? She is fantastic in this movie. I do like her in terms of like acting. I don't. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't know. I like. There's a part of me that's just like, uh, I don't like the character of Nina, and I don't know that Dakota Johnson's playing her in a way that fi- like is going to make her compelling, you know, to me. Um, so like that's an issue. <laughs> I love Coleman and Buckley. I'm not saying this is like Buckley's greatest role. I just think that she's excellent in pretty much everything I've seen her. in. I've seen her in, I think two things now, and I have not appreciated either of them. So that is an issue. That is a personal issue for me, I guess. What else did you see her in? Fucking I'm thinking of ending things. Oh, well that's a terrible movie. Well, yeah, but unfortunately she's played the same fucking character twice now. And now suddenly I, I'm going to plug our slack on our Slack, when the trailer for Men dropped, someone was like, oh, God, so Jess, Jesse Buckley just plays the same fucking character in every movie? And That I wasn't you? That wasn't me, because I had only seen her once. And now I get it. Now I understand. She, she, I think it's the way she's being cast. I don't think she plays the same character in every movie, because I've seen her really dynamic in other roles including wild rose i was about to say wild rose i still really want to see that's the one where she's like scottish and wants to be a country singer Mm -hmm. she was great in that she has a beautiful voice by the way she's a fantastic singer and that's how she came up she actually was in a a show called i'll do anything which was a reality show in the uk i think she might have been like 17 oh i was about to say the 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 fucking james l brooks movie (laughs) 
No, no. This was, <laughs> I think Andrew, I think it was an Andrew Lloyd Webber. Maybe I'm wrong. Produced show where, where they were trying to cast Nancy and Oliver and she came in second oh, and nobody she was who knows who came in first because Jesse Buckley just like soared. Oh, my that. God. She was in Taboo. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Taboo right. Lorna. Oh, my God. And she was in War and Peace. Yeah, she's gr- I, that's how I discovered her because I was like, who is this is Wait. a really shitty miniseries. But this oh, OK, because okay, I was about to say I watched the first 20 minutes of the first episode of that. And I was like, I love this book. I cannot watch this miniseries. No, it's a, it's a it, really terrible adaptation. But it I looked like it was shot on VHS tape. No, War and Peace. War and okay. Peace. It looked like it was shot on VHS. It, it was the it was it was so assaultive to my eyes aesthetically that I couldn't even like take the time to hate all the other things I probably should have hated about it. But I remember, in fact, I'm looking at the the poster right now. It was definitely like, everyone loves Game of Thrones. (laughs) What's another like giant tome that involves war in an old timey setting that we could do? And someone was like, what about War and Peace? What if we had Lily James, who I think plays Natasha? Yeah, yeah, Natasha Rostova. (sighs) And what if we had her looking like the White Queen and she's sitting on a throne of bones. Like, what if her decolletage is a shit ton of bones and skulls and shit? And someone was like, yeah, print it. And I was like, wow, you guys have not read War and Peace. Yeah, not a very good. Not very good at all. But yeah. I love it. And that was a huge one, like, too. They were like, it's going to be on history. It's going to be on A&E. It's going to be on Lifetime. And, and it sucked. Oh, man. That's, uh, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Paul Dano was in that. That's right. I remember being really like kind of oh, excited yeah, for this. Dano. I was like, oh, the marketing could suck, but like all this other stuff looks good. Like, you know, Paul Dano is Pierre is inspired casting and oh, I don't know. It's sad. Tuppence Milton. That's a name. That's a British woman, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Do you not know who that is? No. Isn't that uh, Middleton's Sister? What? Wait, Kate? No, no that's, that's Pippa. Pippa. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all those Middletons are probably related. Um, and know. then Jack Loudon's in it, right? He was in that thing that I wanted to see, and he's Nikolai. See, I think Why are po- we talking about the cast oh, of she's, War and Peace? She's in the current war. Oh, that's yeah, why I that her. movie. Um, Jim Broadbent's in this. Anyway. God, now I want to like give it another shot, but I know no, I'm just gonna hate you it. Really again. don't. It, did, Robin, am I like crazy? Like when you watched it, were you like, "Wow, why does this look so weirdly flat and fake?" Yeah, it looked like utter shit. Okay, good. It's not. If it made me want to read the book series, it failed. It wasn't a because, series. It was just one book. Uh, why did I'm I say sorry. series? I meant to say the know. book, but I mean, it's as long as a series. It might as um, well be a series. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't recommend it. Anyway, talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber, I now have uh, Angel of Musics playing in my head over and over and over again. Uh, right, let, let's get the fuck out of here. Wait, yeah. no. I want to hear what Robin was going to say about Angel of Music. Um, I was going to say I could sing that, but I would never do that on air. Do it. Do it. Do no, it. Um, I'm looking up. I'll do anything because now I'm just double checking that this was. Yeah, it was a 2008 talent show themed television series um, that was centered on who would they wanted an unknown to play Nancy in the broad or the West end revival of uh, Oliver. 
And well, yeah, it was produced by Andrew Lloyd Webber. So this is how Jesse Buckley came came up in the world. That's, that's she was Oliver the with an exclamation point, correct? Oliver. 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 Not Oliver, Oliver. And Company. No. Olivia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's how she got famous. And and I have no idea who actually won because she's the only person in this list of people I recognize. Interesting. Yeah. Um so there is, you know, Bill is trying to get us out of here. Um, yeah, I think we're considering done how far down the rabbit hole we've gone on Jesse Buckley and how she was discovered. Is there anything else to talk about before we leave? Robin, as the person who liked this movie, is there anything that you wanted to touch? <laughs> we have not talked enough about Ed Harris is in this movie for some reason. He does nothing in this movie. That's why we haven't talked like, about that's him. kind yeah. of like, uh, like, you know, if this were a Stella got her groove back kind of situation. Um, but with an unpleasant British woman, um, he he would be the guy who gets her groove back, right? <laughs> I think Paul Mescal was supposed to do that. He was so weird. Like, because if he didn't want to fuck her, why was he talking about how pretty she was so much? I, I don't know. Maybe he wanted to fuck her, but then couldn't because he was already entrenched with the other chick. Maybe he was like the backup plan. Yeah. <laughs> with ass tattoo? No, it's not. She doesn't have an ass tattoo. She has like a rib tattoo. She's got like an under, under, under mm, there's, bust There's tattoo. something on her ass. Oh, really? Because she definitely had a tattoo. She had like pinstriping under her, her bosom. God damn it. Why did I say that? I don't know. Because <laughs> you're ancient. <laughs> I was about to say the only person under 70 to use that term. Bosom? I you couldn't grandma? think of the, un- what do you call right under the, the breasts? The underboob? Yeah, under I guess babe. so. Oh, Christ. Mm, um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's it's just weird because I'm like, oh, Ed Harris is in this. That's cool. And then, like, he just, like, doesn't do much. He, like, he, shows up with an octopus. He's literally just, like, the boyfriend. Like, not even the boyfriend, but you know how there's, like, oftentimes just, like, a woman character who's just there to be the eye candy or, like, the boring wife? Or I mean, he, he is... If, if I were any woman in this movie and you were like, you can have this gawky Irish kid or you can have Ed Harris. I'd be like, well, give me Ed Harris. Uh, no, you would take Peter Sarsgaard because he Ew. was adorable. <laughs> no, my he... girlfriends totally 100%, 1000% disagree with me. And they're like, ew, but I'm like, no, no, so I think that he's attractive, but the fact that he's just another fatuous fucking academic prick in this movie <laughs> And even the fact yeah, but that, that's what she's into. Yeah, because she's an idiot. And <laughs> the fact that that's Ed Harris she too. She's a fatuous fucking academic prick herself. I know, and she sucks. But Ed Harris is out here making money with his goddamn hands. <laughs> you cook oh boy. You, he'll cook no, you a goddamn octopus. No, he's just like a bitch boy for this mob family. <laughs> is that what we're like are the greeks like are the greeks the mob what's going there, on here there's every culture has its mob and we've just started calling them all the mob okay right. it's like the it's the, not the mafia because that's italian well no because like the dixie mafia is a thing you know and they're not italian Yeah, but i think that's a colloquialism based on any organized crime usually gets called the mob or the mafia like you know it's not just the cosa nostra it's it's like you know the albanian mob you know, that's, yeah, but that's mob who, and mafia have different origins. I think they? that they're pretty much interchangeable at this point. Maybe I try to be very specific. If I'm saying mafia, I usually mean Italian. Well, that's because, you know, you're showing respect. 
I think Dixie Mafia is like a neologism or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's all neologism. Like, organized crime in Greek, in in Greek, in Greece, you know, I'm sure has had a name. But, like, if if I were to say the Greek mafia, people would know what I mean. Oh, organized crime originating from Greece. But I appreciate, uh, Robin, what you're trying to do, keeping it it in the family, so to speak. In the five (laughs) families, as it were. Anyway, I'm going to go watch The Irishman now. Um... Actually, no. I think uh, I think I'm going to watch the Deuce because I said I was going to do that yeah, after we last talked about this, and then I forgot which TV show I said I was going to watch. So I just started watching Better Call Saul again. But now I'm going to watch the Deuce. Mm. So, Robin, is there any final thing? Uh, you know, was the cinematography, the music, anything like that? I think I really just enjoyed the mood. I enjoyed the writing. I enjoyed the acting. Uh, I enjoyed the construction of the story, you know, the flashbacks. It just came together for me. But I, you know, in terms of like the artistry, in terms of the the cinematography or the music, I it, it doesn't stand out to me as much as like some of the other narrative mechanics. Okay. Well, I think that's fucking crazy, but I'm super glad that you enjoyed this movie. It was, in fact, on your top 10. So that's exciting. And uh, we hope everyone has enjoyed listening to the top 10 episode. It came out late <clears throat> because I had some weird technical difficulties I had to fix. Um, hopefully this will get to you not long after that drops. So that is all for today. Uh, Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? We're talking about Red Rocket. Aww, Red Rocket. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> Again, super awkward to say yum. And yet... When you say something in that way, you have to. <laughs> that was actually like an in-joke that a friend of mine had. Like, we, if we said anything that could be said to the Red Robin thing and we repeated mm-hmm. it, it was a necessity to say yum. So it would be like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having car trouble. And then someone would go like, car trouble. And then we'd all go yum. <laughs> and it would just annoy the shit out of everyone. I but can you see kept why. doing it. Yeah, we did. We did keep doing it. We had to. I don't mm. talk to him anymore. <laughs> nothing nothing happened. We just grew apart. Anyway, <laughs> that's all for today. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Go to patreon.com slash The Film Stage Show to give us your money. And don't forget to go to Mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash Film Stage to uh, see if uh, we get a free, a free month on us. Um, so you can check out some of the cool shit that's on there. Like I said, uh, Love Affair, which was nominated for Best Picture in 1939, and Incident by a Bank, as well as a bunch of other awesome, cool stuff. Um, There's one that's called Taste, and I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. I just like the fact that a movie exists that is called Taste. Anyway, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage. Let's tell the fine folks at home where we can be found between now and next week when we talk about Red Rocket. Bill Graham, where can people find your shit online? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram. That's mainly where I post. And you can find me trying to desperately catch up on the Slack uh, where I'm way behind, but getting there close. Not yet. Robin Barr. As always, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. I'm also on Letterboxd. Um, You can find some of my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, I just wrote a piece on Encanto and how uh, 
many of the new films about family are recognizing that there are a lot of cracks in families. Mm. Huh. Um, as for me, you can find my stuff at brianjrowan.com. Uh, you can learn more about my distillery, which we talked about briefly today, uh, at schmidtspirits.com. And of course, you can find all of my social medias at brianjrowan. And, uh, oh Christ, what else? Um, you can find every episode of this podcast, as well as my film writing and writing from all of us, over at thefilmstage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. Yeah, I won't do the-